we acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. You're listening to What in the NDIS Now, a podcast where I, Hannah Redford, and my friend Sam Rosenbaum interview participants and providers about all things NDIS. So, Hannah, how are you going? Sam, (laughs) it's so exciting to have you in my office. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to it. I'm very excited what we're going to do with this podcast and get the information out there to both participants and providers. Yeah, so this episode is about introducing us to our audience and what the podcast is going to be about. So, Sam, can you tell me a little bit about Rosenbaum Consulting? Sure. So, I Rosenbaum Consulting is all about uh, support, uh, prov- uh, supporting provide quality supports by quality compliance. So helping providers understand the legislative requirements of the NDIS space and also additional regulations, so works, health and safety, uh, understanding the Anti-Discrimination Act as well, and a variety of wonderful onslaughts of other legislation that providers have to do and and comply with to ensure that they're uh, providing quality supports to those participants. Wow, that was a mouthful. It is a bit of a mouthful, but it's not as much of a mouthful as all the policies that we have to look out, look out for. Yeah, that is really important, obviously, for providers to be able to do the, the best by their participants. And I think um, working for providers sounds like a really interesting space when you're um, not working directly for participants. Yeah, it's... Uh... Quite, it's it's very different compared to providing direct supports for participants and people with a disability, but you get to see a very big picture of what the industry is doing, what uh, what's really working out there, what uh, small providers are really struggling with, and coming up pra- with practical solutions how to improve their services and their quality. Yeah, awesome. That sounds great. And what about you, Hannah? Tell us about tulip coordination. Sorry. Um, Tulip Coordination was started in 2021 um, and primarily doing support coordination. Um, Now I do a little bit more than that. I also provide um, supervision and training to support coordinators and providers in the sector who want to understand a bit more about the NDIS itself and and how it works and how all the pieces of the NDIS puzzle sort of fit together. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I do is I do some consultancy work. So I'm about to start 
providing some allied health assistance um, in the OT space, which I'm excited about. Um, and also support coordination assistance to sole provider support coordinators. Yeah, yeah, because that 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 supervision is really important because providing supports in a complex space on an individual level can be really complex and sometimes very overwhelming. So, um, how about you tell us a little bit about why having supervision as a support coordinator, especially as an independent support coordinator or any sort of NDIS provider as well is really important. Yeah. So support coordination in particular is, is seriously full on. There's, there's so much responsibility, um, because we have a look at the whole of the participant and have a bird's eye view of, of people with disabilities. Um, and it comes with a lot of pressure and there's often we're juggling a lot of different balls. So there's also a lot of burnout in support coordinators. Um, so we need to take care of ourselves and be able to debrief and also look for, um, where we could be doing better because we can always, all of us, be doing better. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, you know, it, I also have supervision because I feel it's it's really important. Um, and so it's it's just something that has always helped with, with my practice and with making sure that, you know, you've got everyone on the right page because sometimes when you've been doing it for a long time, you can get into a bit of complacency and um, so it is really good to have someone just have a look over what you're doing and and you know give you any suggestions that you might need yeah, yeah. I suppose it also really helps with those real complex situations oh yeah <laughs> when there's a really complex situation supervision that's where supervision really you know it uh, is, is really, really needed. And, um, but it's, it's also in the simple because sometimes we can, you know, it's really easy. Even I've done it a million times where I've just overlooked, you know, the really simple thing that I could have done. Talking about what I'm doing, even if I think, oh, this is meaningless to talk about with my supervisor. Um, is actually been really important to remember even those small things. But yeah, in, in complex situations, um, it's great to have someone else's perspective as well. Um, so that's when it's, it's really, really handy. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so yeah, coming from a previous support coordination space and dealing with specialist psychosocial um, cases and support coordination, they, they can get definitely get very very intense and very heavy and involved, especially when you're dealing with justice and child prevention, protection, and the likes and all, all more uh, complex health needs as well when you've got intersectional areas. So I can understand that that would be a very beneficial and positive thing to also help. And also keep, keep following the KISS principle as well, keeping it simple <laughs> rather than overcomplicating an already very complex situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So... Sam, um, whereabouts did you grow up? 
I had a very uh, diverse regional range. So <laughs> I was born in Victoria uh, in a little town just near Geelong called Whittington and then grew up along the Great Ocean Road and then moved around quite a fair bit between New South Wales, Queensland and Victoria. Was, my dad was a rural GP and he travelled around about different, doing different clinics and ran a few clinics of his own. So um, yeah, a, a lot, fair bit all over the east coast of Australia. Oh, awesome, awesome. And what about yourself? Where did, where did, you, where did you grow up? Okay, so, uh, well, I was born in Adelaide, um, but I grew up primarily in Melbourne and Bendigo in Victoria. Um, and then it was about five and a half years ago that I moved my family up to Brisbane. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a good move. I'm glad it happened early for me. <laughs> <laughs> Much nicer weather than Melbourne. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Maybe not the humidity. <laughs> yeah. The humidity is still taking some getting used to, but on the whole, yes, it's it's um, much nicer than it, it was. Yes. So, how, Sam, how did you get started in this, in this industry? Well, I had a, um, a very interesting entry point into the industry, so... My mother has got complex chronic health diseases and uh, very heavy uh, comorbidities. So I had to do a lot, um, and this was back in the early days, days with block funding. So I was having to work with different providers and understand the, the, the block system as well. And this was from a pretty early age. And sort of following from that, I did a lot of work in getting mum's support services working for her rather than just sort of your average here's a here's a house here's a support and here's some other maybe some community supports as well that you can go to so i was sort of looking more at how to improve and connect with the different government systems as well as housing to make sure that she had a good quality and strong quality of life because at that point in time the the uh, case manager system and the supports were failing miserably. <laughs> I, I, I will be oh, able to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I had to get, get involved quite heavily and start readjusting things and try and make that very weirdly complex system try and work for it. And it was really good because eventually I got mum into a single uh, fully accessible house, a unit. Uh, which is a little duplex thing, and then she could uh, grow, and then she ended up on uh, the aged care system, so my aged care with the HCP uh, home care providers. And through that, we had had similar issues with different providers and kept on going through them because it just wasn't meeting the needs that were really required, and eventually managed to find a way to self-manage the aged care funding. Oh, wow. Yes, it was a very hard and very exhausting time. But once we managed to find that, I sort of stepped in more of that role of a case manager or support coordinator role if you're talking NDIS space. And that gave me the ability to look at different funding. So look at independent supports for aged care, which is kind of very unheard of because it's more very, very clicky providers and stuff like that. And you can only sort of stay with the one provider. And that was causing a lot of problems plus 15% admin fee, 15% case management fee, even on a level four, that doesn't leave much much room for the supports and stuff like that. So being able to utilize um, independent supports, being able to negotiate those rates and times and how it all worked was uh, 
very beneficial because then I was also able to look at assistive technology. So get a mobile scooter so then she could access going up the road easier without having to rely on someone to take her in a wheelchair or a wheelie walker. And, and that just ha definitely helped to improve the quality of life. And then got into support coordination and started up working in business with a old friend. And from there, built, helped to build that business up and get that going. And then eventually I moved over into plan management and dealing with those sort of more fraud prevention, auditing requirements and the comp uh, compliance complexities within that space. And eventually I got asked to do some consulting work and that's been my journey. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So Hannah, how about you give us a bit of an overview about how you started? Because you've you're got a very uh, bit more diverse and extensive history than I do. <laughs> Oh, so, well, um, I, ha so two of my three children have NDIS, um, and thus have disabilities, um, or have disabilities and thus they're on the NDIS, one of those ways around. <laughs> um, so ever since I was quite young, I knew that I wanted to, well, I thought I wanted to work in mental health. Um, and when I had children that had disabilities, I went off and did, um, some social work studies and then I started, um, my journey in working in the sector, addiction intake and mental health intake. Um, and I really, I really loved that and did that for a long time. Um, and then... We moved up here and I had a position working um, for one of the big providers um, just before NDIS rolled out, um, supporting people to get early access to the NDIS. Um, and I really enjoyed that, getting to know it from that point of view and at the same time it was really hard work because a lot of the people I was working with didn't have a lot of money for all the reports that were needed. And so it was really heartbreaking because there'd be some people who we just said, well, we can't get these reports, so you can't get on the NDIS. Um, and that um, once the NDIS did roll out... Um, the company I was with asked if I would become a support coordinator, so I switched over to that side and I've been a support coordinator now for four and a half years. Um, I decided, um, I left that company because I had issues with the big companies that provide every single service and support coordination and felt like, feel very strongly that support coordination should be independent of any other services provided. Um, and so I started Tulip Coordination. Well, that sounds a, like a bit of a run through, especially in that mental health space. It can be uh, quite the experience. Yeah, and my participants on the NDIS, uh, as a support coordinator, um, the participants I've been taking on 
have not just been mental health. I um, have definitely been a bit of a generalist for a while. Um, and then when I started Tulip Coordination, I wanted to focus on the LGBTIQ plus community. Um, and in particular transgender participants because there's so few support coordinators that truly understand what it is to be transgender. Um, and I felt like that cohort really needed my support because while I'm a cis person, um, I do have a trans partner and so it is sort of my life and and hormones and all the things so um, I find it a really rewarding space to be in um, yeah so that's that's me yeah no that's that's awesome the especially because the LGBTIQ plus space is is there's not enough providers that really understand the needs and I think the, the rainbow community as well quite doesn't understand the need sometimes within it and it can be very diverse and very clicky at points as well so it's yeah. it's really good and the need for those the providers to understand that space is really important otherwise we're, we're letting down part of that community as well so it's awesome to have you in that space and I, I think you definitely understand it and you, it's, it's great to see the work that you do with the, those participants. Oh thank you yeah Oh, so we've kind of covered some of the questions <laughs> off yeah. that we had um, by some of the answers we've done. So um, how about this? Do you have a success story? Um, oh, a success story. All right, let's bring this on the spot. So I, back in uh, back early, I was, a, I was a guardian for a 21-year-old uh, female who had... So I was a legal guardian. Yep. So she had a lot of um, uh, cerebral palsy and a lot of other comorbidities and psychosocial issues. And I got to know her through my mum's church. And one day she gave me a call going, I can't do this. I'm really struggling. My supports aren't here. And I went down to, went down to see her because she only lived uh, a couple minutes down the road sort of thing. And when I got there, the what I walked into was very confronting and in clear, a, a clear lack of support was evident. So it, she wasn't, she was, it was before the Queensland NDIS rolled, rollout happened. Um, and she was with, uh, DHS and a few, and had another support service in place, but there, it was a clearly evident that no one was really doing anything. So I sort of started working with her um, and getting support services in place, liaising with DHS, uh, liaising with mental health and Queensland Health, because she was a very, a very frequent visitor to the ED room, and not being able to understand why, why she couldn't do what other, other normal people do or how to get certain support. So we had a bit of a case conference, and then there was it sort of grew to the point that her decisions she needs needed more support in her decision making process. So we had a bit of a chat around guardianship and she, uh, she asked if I'd be her guardian. And I took on that role and we worked more heavily, got new support services in place, got more funding through DHS, started looking at getting our house cleaned because it, it, it was 
quite an unlivable situation. You wouldn't really want your family members or friends to be living in that kind of environment. So we got got cleaning cleaning crew in, got her towels tidied up and sorted out, which was wonderful, and started to get more supports in to help her get access community, access um, shopping, getting those sort of services in place. And eventually got her onto the NDIS. And then following through that, about a year after her being on the NDIS, we were sort of sitting down and going, and it came time for her guardianship review. And it was clearly evident that she didn't need it anymore. That's amazing. So with those sort of supports, getting those supports in place, getting her to understand her decision-making process, she was eventually able to retake that control, live in a new new apartment that was uh, through the Department of Housing, and be able to get supports in place to help maintain and, and access community, access a quality of life, which was quite a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. Yes, that's that's such an awesome story. I love that one. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's definitely not so not so much that it was it was part of what I do in terms of the NDIS space or anything like that, but it definitely is one of the more standout things. Have, have just seeing her progress. Yeah. And being able to actually start to improve and taking rubbish out rather than leaving rubbish on the floor or making sure the kitty tray is is taken out on a daily basis it's it's it was very good to see over the long run her progress from where she started out when i came on board to being the guardian to leaving that space as as her guardian and her being able to take have that that independence back because it's really i think independence and control of your own life is really important though sometimes we do need help with yeah. it, yeah. I, I know some to- some days I go, I need a more adulty adult to help yeah. me with this. Yeah. So I, it's 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 great, especially when to see her thriving now. It's it's really fantastic. Yeah, and I think that working towards independence is is sort of the point of the NDIS, and and what we all strive to work towards in the NDIS space. Um. Yeah. How about you? Have you got an awesome success story? Um, look, I've got a really recent one um, that I thought I would share. So um, I have a participant who needed a new wheelchair um, and I had to fight to get more than the base model to get a, a higher model. Um, but I we did it. We were successful. NDIS granted it. And just on Monday, the her custom wheelchair was delivered. Yay. And um, she said how she's never felt so comfortable in a wheelchair before and so supported in the wheelchair. So um, to me, that was a huge... It, it's... It was a long journey yeah. <laughs> to get it, um, but so awesome now that she's got it. So yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely hard sometimes to get that that real emphasis over there uh, to the agency for them to understand that no, we just the, the the simplest thing or the cheaper option doesn't necessarily quite meet the need. And having that, and and wheelchairs in general aren't, aren't comfy. So <laughs> so having something that you're if you don't have full body autonomy having something that you can comfortably be in day in and day out definitely has yeah. a, adds more quality of life to you right because yeah those yeah. things aren't comfortable sometimes no <laughs> absolutely so yeah it's it's been pretty awesome and i hope everyone out there will 
tune in for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Huzzah! Thank you for listening. Please share with people you know. You can email us at whatinthendispod at gmail.com. To contact me, it's hannah at tulipcoordination.com.au. And to contact Sam, it's sam at rosenbaum.consulting. Until next time, as the Green Brothers say, don't forget to be awesome.